Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Nova. Welcome everybody, another episode of Next with Novo, crypto focused. I'm here today with Michael Ash. Michael runs the investment banking advisory business at Galaxy. Um, you know, it's been three months since the great 2022 crypto crash. And I figured it was a good idea to get Michael's pers uh, perspective on our industry. He sees a lot, you know, uh, M&A, people trying to raise capital. And so Michael, welcome. Thanks for having me. We were just talking, you know, this term crypto winner kind of is a shitty term. We gotta give, you, give me your idea. I hate the term. I think it's antiquated. Um, I think maybe when you looked at like the past resets, let, let's call them, I think it made more sense, right? Because effectively what happened was you, you had capital falling away from the system. Right. And the big difference, and we've heard a bunch of people say it, Dan Moorhead said it um, at one of the conferences recently, we all of a sudden have real institutional long-term capital in the space. Right. And over the past three months and what everyone is referring to as this new winter, we're seeing partnerships continue to happen. We're seeing institutions continue to come in, whether it's BlackRock with Coinbase or otherwise. Right. Um, and we're still seeing, though, on the early stage side, capital being put to work. And I think, you know, once you start to see some more macro indicators moving in the right direction, hopefully today is a start of that. Um, I think you'll see even mid to later stage stuff starting to become more active and more prevalent. As you're hearing it loud and clear, this is not a crypto winner. Galaxy is making that claim right now. We're going to call it the great reset, maybe. Uh, the washout of horribly managed businesses, uh, the washout of excessive risk taking, but not a crypto winner. So Michael, Tell us a little bit what you're seeing. You know, the, the M&A space. Yeah. There's one story that, oh my God, it's so busy. Sam Bankman-Fried has been gobbling up companies. Yeah. But what's the reality? I think the reality is that if you look at the past, call it two years, it's been incredibly difficult for M&A to get done in this space, right? And the reason for that very simply is that there's been such an abundance of capital at almost whatever valuation, if you're a highly sought after company, you, you choose it to be. Um, and so this idea of a, a control premium that exists in traditional markets where to own a company outright, you need to pay a premium over what would theoretically be kind of market value that never existed, right? So you could actually raise capital at a, at a much higher valuation than you could sell your business at. And so rightfully so, no one is going down the path of M&A. Fast forward to three months ago, the yeah, valuations decimated really across the, the, the space. And so all of a sudden, I think every company, big and small, is, is reassessing what their M&A strategy is. I think outwardly, a lot of the large cap names in the space are saying they want to be aggressive, they want to do these roll-up strategies, which all makes sense. We're certainly not yet seeing that level of aggressiveness that I think is, is outwardly been kind of told to the market. There's still lots of conservatism. There are still certain parts of the space that are more sought after than others. Um, and so I, I still believe that there is some fear, you know, amongst some of these companies as it relates to what their M&A strategy actually looks like, even though I would tell you right now, almost every company that we talk to is, has or will, you know, shortly contemplate a potential sale. Interesting. So not a lot happening yet, but things will happen. Listen, there's a little bit of a tale of two cities, the way I see things. There's companies that have a whole bunch of cash yeah. that raised early, are raised 
you know, uh, at the right time. There are a lot of companies that are smaller, they're gonna run out of cash. When, mm -hmm. when, what, what's the timing of that? When do you see those guys yeah. waking up to the new reality of saying, oh shit? We're, we're definitely seeing companies who are well capitalized lining up to figure out what their M&A strategy is to try to be a buyer. That's happening. Um, on the other hand, I think what's interesting, and we've talked about this in the past, is that you, you have companies who, you know, maybe they raised capital 12 months ago, maybe it was 18 months ago, who right now are, are appropriately capitalized, but will likely need to raise capital at some point in the next 12, give or take months, right? And if we don't see a significant uptick from a capital markets perspective, we don't, if we don't see investors underwriting those types of deals, um, and we do believe that investors generally are going to be a bit more conservative, they're gonna do more diligence, they're gonna be probably a bit more thoughtful as it relates to where they deploy that capital, we're gonna see a number of companies come into liquidity issues over the next 12 months. They probably won't be the big name brand, you know, companies that we've been talking about for the past three months, but that's where I think you'll see a lot of M&A, right? Where companies are approaching that liquidity issue, all of a sudden recognize the matter, put themselves up for sale and it becomes a fire sale. What are the hot spots? Like if, if there's one assignment you want because you know everybody wants to buy a yeah. company that does ABC, yeah. what are like the, what are the hot spots or hot hot jobs or yeah. you know type skill sets or, or spots? The, the the two things we're seeing on everyone's sort of wish list, right? It's licenses and it's it's geographic expansion. Right. So if you're a US based exchange looking to move into the APAC region or moving to move into the EMEA region, like what licenses does that come with? I think the the one interesting thing that we've seen, because we've been in market and we've obviously seen what's happened or you know around the space. Um, if you started building a licensed portfolio five years ago, right? It may have taken you five years to get to where you are today where you feel like you're fully licensed. That doesn't mean if you started today, it will take you five years, right? right. And so this ever evolving regulatory landscape still will sort of rear its head even on an M&A front, right? Because a lot of these license plays are gonna become less attractive as companies figure out how to gain their own licenses organically, which is as you would expect, significantly cheaper, right? Um, and so, you know, we, we certainly watch that. The, the geographic piece is really important. Um, you know, there's a lot happening in the Middle East. There's a lot happening in India and the broader APAC region. Um, we're definitely seeing lots of interest there from the, you know, companies that, that we're talking to. And look, the, the one thing which has never uh, lost any interest is need for cryptographers, right? Um, and so the need to, to acquire talent today is as intense as it arguably has ever been. Um, and so we're, we're continuing to see companies focus on bringing that talent in-house. There's absolutely no crypto winner talking to, to Michael Ash. Michael, so we got into this business a few years ago mm -hmm. and my thought was hire a bunch of people that knew how to be bankers yeah. and put them on a crash course in crypto so yeah. they develop the domain expertise so you actually can serve as clients. Yeah. Um, I saw recently Molus decided they were going to get into this space. Mm -hmm. In the, who who are the competitors in the field of providing great advice and service to to the crypto community? Look, I think right now, every uh, every mid market, every large bank, financial institution is putting together some sort of digital asset, blockchain focused advisory coverage group. Right. Typically, you, you would take from your fintech team or your tech team and sort of put together a group of people. Um, look, I think where we, where we believe what we offer is fundamentally very different is that we've all been in this space for a long time, 
right? I've been an investor in this space since 2015. When we hire people, like you're right, we hire bankers, but there needs to be that inherent experience or belief or upset, frankly, obsession with the, the broader crypto space. And so the, the, the large benefit that, that we bring is if, if you have all those people in a room sitting in an organization like Galaxy, where you can work with our research team, where you can work with our trading team, you can work with people in this space that are viewing this you know, from a, a very close perspective, that domain expertise is fundamentally very different, right? And so there are a couple you know, shops similar to ours that are very focused on this. Um, one based out of, of the APAC region, um, one on the West Coast. Look, I, I, you know, I, I always say to our team that the more people, the more advisors that are focused on the space, the better. Just means that we're doing something that's real and has real opportunity, right? Um, but I think when, I've when, actually I've believed that as well. Like we're such a young industry, competitors are in a bizarre way collaborators. They are right. You're yeah. prophesizers. You're bringing people into the tent. You're giving advice and teaching yeah. people uh, and showing them what might be the future. And yeah, so that's right. Just want to make sure we get our fair share of the. Pie. I was going to say our job is to beat all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I certainly appreciate it. Um, you're looking your crystal ball now. Yeah. Uh, we've established there's not a crypto winter. There's a lot of under the, the hood activity, not a lot of deals yet, other than a, the few that were mm -hmm. real distress plays. Yeah. But yeah. a lot of companies that raised at high valuation yeah. will need a new round. Has any of that started yet? And, and when does that start and who will the players be? You know, is it the Apollos that are going to come in or the fortresses? Yeah. Because the crypto community doesn't have that kind of capital. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, I think we're already seeing some of those large cap names look at these opportunities. You know, many of them are thinking about them from a secondary perspective, right? Like start to clean out the cap table. You know, you've had early employees, you've got early investors who have been there for, you know, three plus years, five plus years in some cases, right? Um, and for those employees or those early holders, you know, if you're selling not at $8 billion, but at $7 billion, you're probably doing fine. Um, and so we're starting to see some of that. We are starting to have conversations with, with potential issuers about some of those raises. Look, we are going to see more and more, com more, and more investors, rather, come into the space, right? Whether it's the Apollos, the Fortresses, or otherwise. Um, you still have Andreessen, as an example, sitting on $7.5 billion. You saw Lightspeed went out and raised billions of dollars. Right. There is so much capital right now allocated for this space. I, I don't think it'll be for lack of I don't think it'll be for lack of capital. What, what will happen is you'll see more and more concentrated capital towards perceived winners. Right. And so like this concept of Fang, I think, will start to appear in crypto. And for those companies, you know, you, you will see no shortage of demand. There will be valuation considerations. Right. A lot of the companies today, business models are very um, they're frankly very tied to market pricing, right? And token pricing. And so if the market's on 60%, you can have the best year you've ever had, but if you're contingent upon market pricing, your revenues are down 60%, right? Well, I think we will see structure though. You'll see converts, yeah. right? You'll see other, other instruments used that haven't been used in the past to try to bridge kind of that, that last round to today's market. No, if you think about the custody business, the asset management business, your assets are priced in crypto, crypto goes down, your, yep. your, your fees go down. And so it is challenging to manage these businesses as long as crypto stays 100 of all assets. Yeah. Um, well, that's where hedging matters, right? Like, will we, will we see more sophistication on the derivative side, 
right? What can we do to try to help some of those treasuries and some of those, frankly, revenue models take out some of that volatility? Yeah, because there, there are things people can and should be doing, right? I mean, again, you're, you're going to lose some of the upside, right? But, you know, what we just saw over the past three months is going to take out revenues for some companies to a degree which makes them almost not financeable. Yep. Right. And so I think as the industry matures, you will see more and more treasuries and more and more just management teams lean in towards trying to, to utilize. I think, I think the mining business learned that the hard way yeah. and learned it fastest uh, in this this last that's last yeah. sell off. Um, well, my God's fascinating. Uh, we're establishing. No, we got to come up with a slogan. There is no crypto winner. Um, we're going to call it the Great Reset. Uh, I think opportunities uh, for your business, you know, for advisory, for banking, and for the whole space uh, are as exciting as ever. I do wonder what the, tr the, the, the climb out trajectory is, right? It, it, it would be strange to me that there's a V mm -hmm. because yeah. we had the greatest asset bubble of all time, not just in crypto, but outside of crypto that is being popped. Yeah. And, and so you've got this secular trend, which you see and I see accelerating yep. versus the fact that you had to take some of the fluff out of the market. And yep. so we'll watch carefully. I think it's going to be less explosive, but a continuous adoption cycle. Um, and then if the central banks flinch or get too easy, you might see that price of Bitcoin, price of Ethereum yep. accelerate which then will create the hype cycle yeah. again. And so it feels, well, we, like, feels like there's less downside than we all feared two months ago. I also think- Don't jinx me. <laughs> I, I also think that the, the big difference now versus six months ago is we're using the word utility a lot, right? And so how do you bring utility into some of these projects that maybe didn't exist you know, within the past two years? And I think we're starting to see some of these projects move towards that. We're starting to see real life applications Right. And that, in my mind, should obviate some of the volatility and some of the risk that we've seen. It probably also um, requires a shift in token economics mm -hmm. a lot of these projects. Yep. You know, I, I've been talking about this a lot. A lot of the token economics make no sense because yep. they were people trying to, you know, work themselves around yep. regulation or unclear regulation. Yep. And you know, why we've been pushing for clarity and regulation is because then you can at least know how to design a token. I keep saying, my mother, I should be able to explain to her how the token works. And at this point, I have really smart people explaining to me how the token works. And I have to yeah. ask the question like six times. Yeah. And, and I'm not that smart, but I'm not dumb. And so as an industry, we really need to get to a simpler idea of how different tokens work. And they're going to work very differently, yeah. right? Bitcoin's going to have a different you know, token economic model than yep. Uniswap or some other, you know, decentralized exchange. Um, to, to your point, though, like regulation solves that to some degree, uh, right? Because once there is, and we say this a lot, e even no matter what the regulatory outcome is, the industry will innovate around whatever that construct actually looks like, yeah. right? And so any clarity at this point, I think is ultimately massively beneficial to the space. All right. Well, listen, I promised my viewers I would never have a banker on for more than 20 minutes because, <laughs> like, Jesus, bankers in general yeah. aren't the most dynamic of guys. It's kind of like the it's fair. The joke of sitting next to the yeah. banker at the dinner party. You'd rather sit next to the artist. Or kind of, actually, the, you're kind of a half-crypto DGen, half-crypto banker, so we'll, 
we, we gave you the full 20. I'll take it. Uh, thanks a lot, Michael. Uh, this has been great. It's another episode of Next with Novo, live from the Galaxy Old Headquarters. Thank you.